Good evening, Hope Reform Baptist Church. We're in Ephesians 6, so can you please open up there? We're about to finish this, uh, this six-month or, or, or more, I think, uh, uh, a series going through this amazing, wonderful epistle. John Calvin said this was his favorite letter. That's good enough for me. I hope uh, uh, it's your favorite. Every time we go through a book, it then becomes my, my most favorite book. So at the moment, it's my favorite, my favorite book. It's been a tremendous journey through the theology of the gospel from the pen of the Apostle Paul. Next week, we're going to be starting a, an evening series uh, traveling through Romans chapter 8, Paul's view on the spirit-filled gospel, God-glorifying life from now to eternity. That'll be next week, but uh, let's tonight finish off, if you will, the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. Look now at uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 21. Here's what God says by the pen of the Apostle Paul. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother, and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. May God bless his own word in our midst this evening. We have a, uh, a portion of uh, scripture here filled with uh, half of it as a benediction. The other part is a uh, sort of personal greeting. Both usual ways that Paul ends out his letters is a bit of a personal address of here's who's carrying the letter. Here's who I want you to say hello to. Say hello to my auntie Sophie, etc., etc. And then an ending benediction where he, where he starts almost every one of his letters with the language of grace to you. And then he ends his letters with grace and peace or some kind of mixture uh, uh, grace and peace be upon you, or, 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 or uh, uh, be to you as he has uh, uh, given them the grace in the, in the epistles. There's, there's two, way, two, two sections of what we're going to look at tonight. First is Tychicus's personal, we'll say that five times fast at the end of a long Sunday, Tychicus's personal presence with the Ephesians is one portion of tonight's text. And the second is the love incorruptible that is in the benediction and prayer that closes out. I want us to spend a little bit of time thinking about and just looking at the situation as to why Paul sends Tychicus to the Ephesians. He says here, starting out in verse 21, so that you also may know how I am, and what I am doing, and how I, uh, what I am doing, he says, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. He goes on to say, I've sent him for this exact purpose, so that you may know how we are, and so that he may encourage your hearts. We have to at least ask the question. He doesn't end every letter this way. We have to ask the question, why is Paul so sure that the Ephesian church cares? Why is it so important to Paul that he sends somebody to tell them how he is? And the situation is, uh, in its, in its uh, fairly recent history, we remember that when Paul was last among them, and Acts 19 tells us the glorious story that we've recounted a few times throughout this Ephesian series, that, that Paul was there among them for two years and three months preaching the gospel, and the city went crazy. The, the charge against the apostles and the preachers were that they were turning the city upside down. In fact, it was more than that. They said they are t flipping the world upside down and they've come here and they're doing the same thing to us. The economy
economy shifted. The people were stopping uh, uh, worshipping the idols. They stopped uh, uh, the black magic. And it was just changing the culture. As, as all of these people were getting converted, the world was changing around them. And they were complained about. There was a riot. Paul ended up leaving and coming back partially in Acts chapter 20 to have a little pastoral meeting with the, with the elders that he had seen saved raised up and appointed over this newly planted revival, explosive megachurch in Ephesus. And as he's speaking to them in Acts chapter 20, he told them, you you can see it actually, if you go to Acts chapter 20, he told them that he has no expectation to see their faces ever again because he expects that God is going to take him back to Jerusalem and from there... He is going to be arrested and killed, or at least that seems to be his uh, expectation. He says in verse 25, uh, sorry, verse 24, it's so good. Verse, uh, no, you know what, let's go from 22. I, I love the, Paul's, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul's exposition in, of his own ministry. Verse 22, he says, now behold, speaking to the Ephesian elders, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, Except for the fact that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city that, I, uh, uh, that imprisonments and afflictions await me. So here's Paul's revelation from the Holy Spirit. Everywhere you go, you're going to get flocked, flogged, mocked, beat up, uh, left for dead, and disfigured. And that has been basically a one-for-one, 100% strike rate prophecy for his whole missionary endeavor and city that he goes to so far. But now he is being constrained by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Now, we would all know, just like in Christ's ministry, it's dangerous for Paul to go to Jerusalem because it's filled with very zealous Jews. Now, he's got his own first-hand testimony as a reminder of what zealous Jews do to Christians. They murder them. He was a murderous, zealous Jew just before this. And so here's this city filled with those that would want his blood for mingling this Yahweh religion with the filthiness of the Gentiles and and who's been going out and preaching and living the way that he has. They're there. It's dangerous for him. So he's got these two things. He, He knows that the Holy Spirit tells him, go to Jerusalem, the most dangerous city on earth for him. And on the other hand, the Spirit has generally prophesied to him that everywhere he goes, he'll receive beatings. So it's a pretty ordinary, very understandable conclusion that he makes that he then tells the Ephesians, I'm going to Jerusalem. See upstairs. I'm going to go die. No one here is going to see my face again as far as I'm aware. Because even though the Holy Spirit hadn't told him the the date of his death, he had very reasonable grounds to assume it. Look at what he says next. Staring down the barrel of death itself, he says this, verse 24, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Amen. What a life. What a life he lived. Verse 25. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. 
Paul looks at the face of the Ephesian elders. He, 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 he explains to them and justifies himself of, 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 of the ministry that he lived among them, set himself as the example to them, and then he left them fully expecting that he was going to be killed and never see them again, never hear about the church again. When he next saw their faces, it would be as one by one. They perish, they die, they go up to heaven, and there he would meet them. Now, he's gone to Jerusalem. He's been arrested in Jerusalem, as thought. He's been thrown in prison, as he expected. He's been given a trial before the the, the Roman governors. And as the Holy Spirit told him in chapter 25 of the book of Acts, he he appealed to Caesar so that he, he can go and preach the gospel in Rome. And so, as we recapped last week, he was put on a ship. He was sent across the Mediterranean to the imperial city, multiple shipwrecks along the way. And then he lands in Rome, rents for himself a room, sits there night and day, teaching and preaching, chained up to a Roman guard, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in the imperial city. <coughs> so the last time this church saw Paul, he was going to die. They were, they were having a, a, a pre-funeral memorial service with him, and he was getting sent off on the boat. And now they hear that he's in the imperial city. Now, rumors travel fast in the old world without FaceTime and uh, uh, digital security and confirmations like that. You may hear that the Apostle Paul is anywhere or everywhere, but to actually be sure, they had likely had somebody sent to Rome, confirmed that he was in fact there, and lived with him a time and been with him. There were some of the Ephesian men, like Tychicus, who Paul was sending back to Ephesus. Tychicus had been saved under Paul's ministry in Ephesus. Then he went with Paul when he went to die. That's a faithful brother. That's why Paul calls him a beloved brother and a faithful minister, because when I told him, I'm going to go die at the gates of hell, Tychicus said, I'll go with you. I'll carry your body back. Maybe I'll die with you. I don't know, but I'll go with you. He went, and then he accompanied Paul on the prison ship all the way to Rome, where he is now living now. Maybe he's gone back and told the Ephesians. Maybe he's received word or something of the like. But he is with Paul in the Roman imprisonment, sitting alongside him, not himself under the same imprisonment. And therefore, he is going to be the one going back to Ephesus with the Ephesian letter, encouraging them, explaining the letter, answering questions, and the like. In the book of Colossians, because the book of Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and the mysterious letter of Laodicea, which was not preserved in the scriptures, those letters were written by Paul while he was in prison. Therefore, they're fairly similar in their endings and their goodbyes. But Epaphras was the church planter who went out to Colossae to preach and plant that church, who was now with Paul in Rome at his prison house. So, Epaphras was going to be sent to Colossae, Tychicus was going to travel east and then uh, stop in Ephesus, hand over the letter, do the public reading of the Ephesian letter, answer any questions people had because Tychicus literally wrote the book of Ephesians. He didn't come up with it, but Paul the Apostle, because of his eye issues, he would often uh, use a, an amanuensis. Uh, he, would, he would speak the truth, and Epaphras or, or Tychicus in this situation would just be writing quickly down. So he's literally written the letter, and now he's going to go and explain it to the church if they have any questions. But more than that, in a way that I think we would probably easily overlook, he's also going to embody the life, the personal presence of Paul in their midst to them. He was coming not only to explain the letter and not only to, de- to, to deliver the letter, 
but he was also coming to encourage their hearts through his personal brotherly presence with them. There is, there is something deeply, deeply personal about New Testament ministry. It is so much more than just information on a screen that can be downloaded, learned, and then aced. God has so designed the, the ministry and the, the gospel as, as it does its work in our hearts, there is so much of it that is bound to and that is limited by the degree to which we are embodied in a local gathering. This is why the local church is of utmost importance for any and every single Christian. But it is also the case that God gives shepherds, we remember in Ephesians chapter 4, one of the gifts that God gives to his church One of the gifts that Christ gives to his church is not just the apostles who write the word, but also the pastor teachers who shepherd the people of God and speak the word. Both are, in fact, a gift from God to us. And so we must, we should esteem highly those who preach the word to us. Uh, but, But more so, we must think of the New Testament ministry where the Holy Spirit applies truths to us as deeply personal. Uh, Paul speaks of this in 2 Corinthians, and he says, it's weird, I know it's crazy, and I spend a lot of my time wondering why he designed it this way, but God has taken his, his infinitely valuable gospel, and he's put that treasure in dusty, muddy, clay jars, and that's the ministers of the gospel. That's, that's the church. I've had plenty of people say, I don't want to go to church, I don't, you know, you've got men handling the word of God, you've got sinners up there, you've got... Absolutely. That's part of the glory that God does this gospel explosive work in the imperial city, in Ephesus, in Colossae, in Jerusalem, across the whole known world, and even down to our little gutter of the, of the planet here in Queensland. He does all of that through fallen, sinful, finite jars of clay, and he does it in no other way. He doesn't send the perfect, unblemished angels to go and be the missionaries. He sends people with track records of sin, with difficulties, with current uh, struggles and things to work through. He sends each of us in some way into our own mission field of our own life. But the gospel is carried and ministry is done by very human people. This is why, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but this is why... I don't have a church, but I love, I was going to say his name. I was going to say a few names. I don't want to tarnish their name with this idea. I don't go to church, but gee, pastor so-and-so is a tremendous preacher. I, I download his sermons. Me, we as a family, we watch YouTube. Me and, me and my wife, we, we do sermon audio. Me and, me and my family of friends we, and, and, the, and the young people that I do life with, we, uh, we gather together and we download or we watch or we read something from a disembodied pastor who's never met you, who doesn't know your sins, who doesn't know your proclivities, and you think probably that if he were here today, there'd be no one on earth that he would pat on the back harder than you. You amen everything he says. You, you love the way he says it. You've never seen him sin because you've never seen him. And if you have seen him, it's because he's on the internet and he's not putting his sin on the internet. Embodied ministers that from time to time offend you, stuff up, make mistakes, uh, blunders in, in what they may do in their life or words. Yes, all of this is not to excuse anybody who handles the word or leads the people in an inappropriate or irreverent way, but is to see that part of the glory of New Covenant ministry is just how unglorious it really is. And so Paul is not, is not uh, 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 satisfied to just send Tychicus and say, so that you may have the letter, I'm sending Tychicus, 
but he wants them to know how he is doing. He wants them to talk with Tychicus, ask him questions, discuss with him, and he can tell you, he says, he can tell you all about me and us. He uses both words. The, the me is the Paul, and the us are the other brothers that are with him in Rome. That would include, uh, I've got a list of names here. We've got Tychicus, Epaphras, Timothy, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, Aristarchus, Onesimus, who was the escaped slave that was converted, uh, Mark, Demas, Jesus, otherwise called Justice, because that name's taken in the Christian community, and Epaphroditus. So all of these brothers are here ministering in the imperial city, and Paul wants to send Tychicus back to give an update on how things are going. Especially, he, part of it is, is, his, is his suffering. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 3. Even though he didn't write it down in detail in this book, Part of what Tychicus would be going to tell the Ephesian church are the sufferings that Paul is undergoing. Now we may think, why? Is, is he an attention-seeking pastor? Is, is he the kind of guy that, that always, you know, whenever, every time he gets beat up, he'll put a selfie on Facebook and say, I don't, I don't want to answer any questions, but please pray for me. And just these mystic sort of attention-seeking posts. Is that what Paul, is that what he's doing? Not at all. Paul recognizes that because, of, because his ministry is given to him to suffer to the point of death for the sake of the gospel going among the Gentiles, it, it is advantageous then for him to communicate to the Gentiles some of what he is suffering because then they see the gospel at work in their lives. So, in Ephesians 3 verse 7, he says, Of this gospel I was made a minister. I'm a minister of this gospel. Now look at verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. I've been made a minister by God so that in the church, the glory and wisdom of God can be seen. And then look at verse, uh, look at verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. When he sends back Tychicus, he's going to tell them, tell them what I'm suffering. Tell them about the shipwreck. That was gnarly. Tell them about the revival that happened on Crete when we had one night there. That was really cool. Tell them about how I've been beat up by the Roman prisoners. Tell them what happened here and what happened here. Tell them what I'm suffering, not for my attention's sake, but because I've already communicated to them that in as much as they see me suffer, they are seeing an apostle deliver by his blood, sweat, and tears the gospel to the Gentile world. Now go tell them all that God is doing through us by our suffering. So he wanted to encourage them in exactly that way. Tychicus embodied the life and the story and the truth of Paul. The Ephesians will want to know how the gospel is advancing because if you were in the Roman Empire, part of the prayer of every Christian would be that the gospel makes it and finds an inroad in the imperial city. And now they know that the apostle, who cannot be stopped and will not be shut up, he's in the imperial city. They're going to be excited to hear back prayer points and praise points of what God is doing. We, we, we see that in Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, praise God, I'm in prison in Rome. And he lists off a couple of details. He says, number one, members of the Praetorian Guard, many in the Praetorian Guard have believed the gospel. Now, now we might hear that and go, cool, some, some, some soldiers have uh, nodded, nodded their yes to Jesus. No, the Praetorian Guard were handpicked men 
of the best of the best of the imperial guard. There was only 10,000... 10,000 of them at a time, and some of them were, were, were in, uh, given over to watch out for Paul because he was a prisoner of particular empirical interest. Caesar cared about this guy, Paul. And, and what Caesar didn't realize was that as he was sending his most influential soldiers, who were paid double than any other rank in the, armor, uh, the, in the army, as he sent them to keep him shut down... They were getting converted and bringing it back to the rest of the Praetorian Guard who lived together. And so he said, it's making inroads. Praise God that I'm in prison. And then he says also that members of Caesar's own household are being converted. How annoyed would you be to be Caesar? And you've got this guy locked up and he can't travel, so I'm sure none of this unrest will continue. And then your slave was, was cousin of one of the members of the Praetorian Guard and they got chatting religion one day and now he's converted. And now your daughter's fairly interested in this Christ figure and you start reeling back going, there is no power on earth that can stop the progress and triumph of the gospel. There's none. Paul's very thankful for that. He wants the Ephesians to share in the joy of all that God is doing in Rome. He wants Tychicus to go back and embody it, to, manif to manifest, to, to speak the truth in a very human voice, to sit down and discuss with them. It was a beautiful and glorious thing to have the word of God exemplified and embodied in front of them by this preacher, Tychicus. Hebrews 13 verse 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. This is what Tychicus was. He was going to come to them, speak the word, tell them all about Paul, and he was going to be an embodied example of what they should be like. Uh, I, I, I'll have to reference Pastor James McKenzie now, as I sat under his sermon on this very same text down at the Gold Coast today, he said something that was, it was smart. I, I took it and I thought I got to reference the guy. He said, Tychicus is the kind of guy and exactly the kind of guy who acts like he read the Ephesian letter. You look at Tychicus' life and he's sacrificial, whether it's being a mailman just carrying the letter across dangerous roads. Earlier in Acts, we saw that he was the guy, it seems, that Paul entrusted all of the gold and silver on his back and in his luggage, uh, making it through the Roman highways to take it back to the Jewish church. Pretty risky. <laughs> you got a target on your back when every, uh, every gateway you go through, you're jingling with coins. Uh, Tychicus was a mailman when he needed to be. He was also a step-in pastor for Timothy when he needed to be. And he was a faithful, beloved brother and minister of the word to Paul. This man did anything and everything that was necessary for the gospel because Paul was his example and Ephesians was the letter that he helped write and then I would guess probably read it about a thousand times on the highway back to the church. He, he was an example to them of somebody who just looked and smelt like he had read the book of Ephesians. Has, that, has, has the book of Ephesians had that effect on you? Have, have you come away from this book and, and, you, and you, you're starting to realize, I'm just zealous to serve. The church is the, glory, is the place where the glory of God is shown. Uh, I'm zealous to serve. Look at what Christ did for us. What is left but for me to give myself to the saints? Is that how you're coming away from Ephesians as we close out this series? Being one like Tychicus, faithful and beloved, serving his guts out. That's Tychicus. 
If I can, I would also love to encourage your hearts, to use the, use the phrase of, uh, of Paul in this letter. I will act, I suppose, in some sense, I'm, I'm the Tychicus. I actually just want to uh, uh, take a little bit of a break of our usual line-by-line exposition and praise God for something very practical, very, 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 very uh, uh, much planted in our own time and life and space and uh, give some encouragement to your hearts of what God has done specifically down in the imperial city of Helensvale. In the Gold Coast. I, I just want to give an update and a thank for, in the spirit of this very passage tonight, by God's own providence, uh, uh, this weekend marks the, the weekend that we, we handed over leadership of the Gold Coast. It's no longer a church plant, meaning that it's no longer uh, some people from Hope Logan stretching our arm out and doing work on the Gold Coast, but it has actually formalized and become independent as an institution before the Lord God. And just yesterday, up atop glorious Mount Tambourine, at sunset, we, uh, we voted in the first group of members, uh, and we voted in the first elder and teaching elder, James McKenzie, and we voted in the first deacon, who we prayed over this morning, Luca something. Can't pronounce his last name yet. I have promised him I will work on it. Uh, but, but they now are an existing local church ministering the gospel to their surrounds along with other local churches doing the same thing. It was, it was 12 months actually, almost to the week. I think it was, a, uh, it was the 10th of July that we first started there. But before we started the church plant, we started a Bible study down there. Some of you guys were a part of that. Uh, James was leading a Bible study. And uh, the promise was, James, you'll be the deacon from here that is sent for the mission to basically oversee half or so of the work that needs to be done. And as the, uh, the lead pastor, I will, I will preach there and I'll oversee, I'll, I'll do the preaching and I'll help out with the Bible studies and I'll be hands-on a whole bunch. And the Lord said, no. The Lord said, James should do a bit more than that. And so God broke my leg the Friday before we planted the church. So my first sermon there, I can't remember because I was on many pain, uh, uh, painkillers. Uh, pain I do remember part of James's job after the sermon was mopping up the blood underneath my surgical wounds. That was tremendous, but some of you guys were there as well. Great start to a tremendous weekend, uh, a, a great turnout. We praise God for that. And then over the last 12 months or so, there's been about an average of 25 to 30 people that are attending there. Some of you are still serving by ways of helping fill gaps on the roster, which is a glorious thing to do. Some, some of you Loganites were down there just today. Uh, uh, but they have become uh, more and more independent. A lot uh, more people that, that attend there, it's almost purely locals now, which is what we want to see. People indigenous to that faraway land called the Gold Coast that I, I hardly even speak the language of people down there. And the further south you go towards Byron, the more intangible they are, and I need a translator. So that's now up to James. That'll, that'll, that'll be him. But uh, uh, last, I remember when we were chatting, I was chatting with James about the church plant. We were, he was just about to give birth. He wasn't. <laughs> Chloe was about to give birth to their baby, and so that was a bit of a, you know, that was a, you know how's the timing going? Ah, it'll be fine. What could, what, what could happen? And then he broke his rib, and I broke my leg that week. And then they had their baby, and then they, he was a few weeks old when, when, when we planted the church. And now, tomorrow, his next baby is due. So we have lots of things to pray for him and Chloe about and the church down there. So I want to extend a, a praise to the Lord. I want to encourage your hearts that by, uh, by your prayers and your encouragements, many of you, your you're serving. Uh, many of you, you're, 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 you're praying, of course. You're visiting. You're helping out. You're, you're giving of uh, exhortation to those who go, uh, to those who are 
who have also been giving financially, specifically down there. It has all gone to tremendous use. Uh, We praise God for it. And I want to extend a few prayer points going forward. One of them would be that you pray for more souls to be saved and then added to that church. One of the, the great glorious things to see is not just Christians come from, a, uh, from a, a period of not being at church or coming from terrible, unhealthy churches, praise God for that, but primarily the thing that Paul lived for, that every pastor must continually test himself, are we seeing a godly blessing of souls being plucked from the devil's hand? That is the prayer. I want to ask that you pray regularly for souls to be saved through the work of that very young church. I want to ask that you pray for James as he leads and organizes that church, and Chloe as she has her hands full with a newborn at some point this week, we pray. We want to pray that, um, that uh, uh, the whole church would be donning the armor of God that we've been going through. Uh, that they would be praying, that they would be holding God's promises by faith, that they would be sharing the gospel, that their shields would be up, that, that God would uh, empower them for the, the fiery darts that no doubt come to a gospel-preaching church. There will be many trials, many difficulties that they will be going through for God's glory. And we also pray in a very practical way. Can you pray for just more volunteers and more people to be able to come who can fill certain roles, things like administrators, uh, uh, children's ministry, that which in time will we'll sort of build up, and, and people from the Gold Coast to do music as well. We're still sort of helping provide some music uh, uh, people down there. So please be praying for God's glory to be put on display in that local church to, for Christ's sake, but also praying in specific ways that God would be meeting their needs and helping them out. Uh, we do plan and pray by God's grace as a church here in Logan to be able to plant and do that four more times by the end of 2032. So we have some years ahead of us. Uh, hopefully that, that's a minimum. Hopefully we'll fast surpass that and just laugh at such a smaller number that we set for ourselves. But we do, do pray that God would use us, you in years to come, and all those who are added to our number to plant churches, which is the example and the, the life goal of the Apostle Paul. However small he would leave them, however enormous mega church he would leave them, whatever, is, whatever the size, his goal in life was to arrive, preach, amass a small discipleship, appoint elders, and then go to the next city. So that in Romans 15, he says at the end of his life, the whole map of the Mediterranean, I'm done. God gave me the Mediterranean. God gave me the Gentile world as we know it. And my next thing is to jump a continent. Now I need to go to Africa. I want to go to North Africa and, and the Spain area. That was, that was his next goal. So we want to live the life and with the goals that Paul set for himself and pray that God would continue to plant churches. I do hope and pray that your hearts are encouraged by what God is doing in our midst. <clears throat> I'm going to turn now to the last uh, portion of the text and the last section of the entire book of Ephesians, this benediction and prayer that he offers up in verses 23 and 24. It's very simple. I heard one commentator say this, and I, 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 I agree. He said, sections of scripture like this are not best exegeted, they're just best read and amened. There's something about what he says here that it almost goes against the very spirit of the passage to try and pull it all apart and relate everything theologically to each other. Uh, just, just hear it, and we will have some uh, degree of explanation in there, but, 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 but our practice will not be to, to simply turn it into a treatise. Here's what he says. Peace be to the brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace 
be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Love incorruptible. That could almost be the theme and the point of the entire book of Ephesians. Love incorruptible is a phrase that has behind it an entire Trinitarian saving theology. And this is where we started our our exposition. Six months ago, we started out by recognizing in chapter 1 that what we are going to be studying in the gospel is the Trinitarian work of God saving sinners. Love incorruptible, just that phrase, just that idea, demands a Trinitarian effective saving work to be done for there to be any such thing as love incorruptible. Because love incorruptible, as he says here, is not God to us. Love incorruptible, we might get out of, our, get out of it theologically and, and explain it as well. This is the love that uh, the, the Trinitarian persons have for one another. And, and that's the only way that we can think that love incorruptible could even exist. But it's not. He's saying that saints, true Christians, and I would argue every single one of us, do actually have a love incorruptible for the Lord Jesus Christ. However, to have that love, there must be a Trinitarian saving work already done in our hearts. For, for we know that if we were commanded by God, love me incorruptibly, we would probably turn to Ephesians 2 and say, well, we can't. We can't do anything incorruptible. Everything that we do, which comes out of our own dead heart, our, our own calloused, corroding, disgusting heart, it's just following Satan, you said, Paul. It's, it's, it's just following the rest of our desires and the rest of other people. Our heart can never originate and come up with incorruptible love. And so incorruptible love, therefore, demands, just logically, that it is a love that God has borne and given into our hearts for us to then have towards him. This love is a gift. But even at that point, maybe you say, hey, hey come on, Ephesians 5 exists, remember? That we are, we are, it's, though we are children of light, though we've been made born again, we walk corruptibly. Well, we walk in corruption, we walk in sin and darkness and, and filth, and, and, and so how can we? How can we love incorruptibly, even if God did give us an incorruptible love to love him back with? Our muddy, grimy hands receive it like a toddler and then give it back to him already corrupted. So how can we love God incorruptibly? And of course, the reality is that the Holy Spirit has given to us a new nature, God has given to us a new heart, a a, a created being you are. You're a new creature, a new being, as it were, that God sees so that you are able. Imagine this. I'm I'm big on total depravity. I'm I'm big on preaching against sin. Just wind, wind the YouTube back a bit and look at the sermons. Okay, you'll see it. But, friends, if you are somebody that God has made alive, you are the kind of person that has the capacity to sustain incorruptible love. The incorruptibility of the love has nothing got to do with you. The incorruptibility of the love is not contributed by you. Don't hear a saying that you're just, you're just such a good spiritual sport these days, you can make perfect, infinite, amazing love to give back to God. Not at all. But this is a part of the gospel. That everybody, that the Spirit resurrects spiritually Everybody that the Spirit gives the gift of faith and unites to Jesus Christ has at least the germ, at least the seed, at least the beginnings, the capacity in a minimalistic sense at least to have towards Jesus Christ incorruptible love. 
This incorruptible love has been a gift from the triune God who saves us and given to us. And it is directed to the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Son sent into our form to be our Lord. To be our greatest example, but not just an example. To be our Redeemer and our representative before God's justice. To be, to be the Christ means to be the appointed one, the anointed one, the promised one, the saviour one that was promised and prophesied to come. The Lord in our flesh took on this role, went before God carrying all of our sin, paid the guilt of it to its final dregs, paid our debt to its final balance, and thus it achieved for us an eternal redemption. He was resurrected on the third day, sitting up in heaven. This is Ephesians 1. I'm just going through Ephesians 1 here for us, in case you didn't know. At the end of Ephesians 1, we're told that he was resurrected and raised to the throne, sitting there now, ruling over every power, authority, and name, with everything under his control, because he's king of the universe. That Jesus is the one to whom we all have. If you are born again, you have an incorruptible love. Because God himself sustains that thread of love between you. This isn't, don't hear incorruptible love, worse yet. Don't hear grace be to you who have incorruptible love and think that achieving some kind of love is what then receives saving grace. No. No, this grace that he's, he's praying that we receive is not saving grace. It's multiplying grace. It's abundant grace after we've been saved. We don't love to then receive God's faith, God's grace. Rather, those of us who have been graciously born again are given the ability and the seed of the Spirit to be able to love God incorruptibly, to be able to love Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, unendingly. I know you're weak and I'm weak. I know you corrupt good things and I corrupt good things, but not a single person that Jesus has saved who now loves Jesus will ever stop loving Jesus because the love given is an incorruptible love. Incorruptible love is not a standard of love. It's a kind of love. It's not a degree of love, like if you love him this much to the point that it's now incorruptible. He's not saying that it's a, it's a level of love. It's a quantity of love. He's saying it's a kind of love. It's a, it's a quality of love. It's the kind of love that only the born-again people, but every born-again person has within their soul. Let that be an encouragement to you. You may be a, a Christian in a dark place with a poor uh, a, a history of late in your behavior and obedience. And a, or maybe you're a new Christian and you don't think you, you've got a few years before you get to incorruptible. No, you. Have the spirit within your heart, sustaining always the pilot flame of an incorruptible love to Jesus Christ. The question is, if you're a Christian, the question is not, do you love him incorruptibly? It's an encouragement that you do love him. The question, though, is, is it increasing? Has, has the, the book of Ephesians been to you a torrent that cleanses you and that excites you and that increases your love for Jesus Christ? At the, at the end of this book of Ephesians, so much depth, so much doctrine, so much glorious truth and theological beauty. Do you get to the end of it? We went camping recently and we went down to this beautiful creek I took my, 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 my two boys, my two oldest boys, gave them their buckets to go and play with. 
It's a good dad. I just felt like this was, this was a beautiful, a, a, my gift to them, the beauty of nature. And we pulled up and I said, go on, boys, have some fun. This glorious expanse of water, beautiful. And they run down. And the first thing they do, one of them shoves the other, duck, dumps his bucket in the water and says, my bucket's fuller than yours. I think, isn't that just like so many Christians? We study Ephesians. We study the theology. We, we jump into the expansive uh, uh, a river and torrent of God's grace. And what do we do with it? We hit other people over the head and go, I know more about this than you. I can define things more astutely than you. I know more than I did six months ago, which is exciting because I can go back to the Facebook post where I was shut down and I can win the argument again. Uh, this is how Christians often live. We, we get to the, to the ocean of God's love and we think it's a competition between me and my brother whose heart is fuller. No, it is, it is the effect to be had that we come to the rich ocean of God's grace in Ephesians. And the effect afterwards is that we are happy to drench ourselves, to jump in headlong and enjoy and love the God who has loved us. Is that the effect that Ephesians has had on you? That is, at the end of all of the learning and the consideration and the, and the theology and the gospel doctrine, that, that the water has started to move your wheels in service. It has started to, to loosen your heart in emotive worship to Jesus. That, that your hands and your feet are more mobile now in serving the local church. That, that your eyes are more, are more clarified to see the needs of other Christians around you. Has it affected you to have a greater degree of incorruptible love? Or has it simply filled your head? Friends, I pray that this, this, this incorruptible love of God to us that we've studied will be such that it, it thrives and encourages and stokes further the flame of your incorruptible love to Jesus. And if you don't have yet faith in Jesus, this is the night. This is the very moment that God, God lays out all of his blessings and privileges and promises in Jesus Christ. And he says, come and eat all of it. Come and feast on my amazing grace, my forgiveness, my love, my adoption, my righteousness, my mercy. You can have it all for free because Jesus has paid it all. If you are still outside of Jesus, then look to him by faith and rely on him. He died for you. He rose for you. And Christians, we, we look at him, we behold him, we worship him. Let's do that now. Father God, we thank you for this book. We thank you for Paul's ministry and his words and his genius and, and, and the Spirit's revelation to him and his understanding of the gospel and his letters. We, we thank you for his imprisonment and his sufferings, which, 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 uh, which serve to, to, to spread the gospel. We thank you for his faithfulness and, and the faithfulness of men like Tychicus and the others who, who are an example to us. We thank you for this book that your Spirit wrote. More than Paul wrote it, the Spirit wrote it. And he has so preserved it and kept it in ages past that we would have it as a deposit and a gift from God today. We thank you, Lord God, that we can come to it and that we, we may have our love and our hearts excited evermore. We may, have our, we may have our souls stirred into greater and deeper love for the Jesus who has saved us by his blood. I pray, Lord God, that if there is any who have been hearing about this Jesus, who have been seeing the truth of this Jesus, but have never had it impact their soul, who have never received it into their very being, Father God, I pray that tonight would be that night, that they have their, their new birth, their new creation, that you would make them alive to your son's glory.
Father God, would we be a church that loves incorruptibly the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that speaks his gospel, that, that delights in his salvation, that sings to him, that prays to him often, that rests on him and relies on him. Father God, would you glorify your son, Jesus Christ. May, may your glory be on display in Christ and in this church, Lord God. May your, may your glory be on display in Christ and in the church throughout all generations forever and ever. And all the people of God said, Amen. Amen. This sermon was preached at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Logan, Australia. For more information about our church, visit our website at hoperb.church. If you have been blessed, please leave us a review wherever you listen. We pray this message has been used by God to grow and encourage you in your Christian walk. Thank you for listening. Soli Deo Gloria.